Life can be an extraordinary adventure. More than ordinary. In the gym. At home. At work. More than ordinary. Advice. Without the new agey bullshit. Welcome to More Than Ordinary, brought to you by Seven Generation Games. I'm your host, Anne-Marie DeMars, and we have an amazing, interesting, fascinating guest today. That's me, (laughs) Dave Roman. (laughs) I've never been a guest on a podcast before. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. This is the first. See, and that's really interesting because you do a podcast. So let's just start that. How long have you been doing the Judo Chop Suey podcast? So I've been doing the podcast for about two and a half years, which which kind of boggles the mind because I, I, I didn't think I'd be here at, at this point. I'm I'm in the process of currently recording episode sixty, and I I remember when I recorded my first episode, if uh, saying that if I had more than ten people listening, I'd keep going, and uh, those numbers have grown uh, across the world. I have a pretty a fairly global audience. Most of my audience, half of it's in the United States, and the other half is. Uh, in Canada and in the UK and Australia, and then uh, some of the, some other countries like Germany and and uh, the Netherlands and a few downloads in Japan. So I'm very excited. I I I I really can't believe the kind of outreach uh, the podcast podcasting has as a whole. Because when I started, I, I it just didn't occur to me that any anybody outside of Florida would even listen to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Give me your background in judo. Now, obviously, you do judo. You're a black belt. So how long have you been doing it? You were in Massachusetts, right? And then moved to Florida? Well, I I, I started judo 13 years ago. I've lived in Florida for, for about 19 years. So I didn't start doing judo un, until I moved, until I'd been, into Flo- been in Florida for a number of years. And I started judo when I was 31 years old. It was, my, my initial grappling experience was in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I saw that I, I came across a judo info site and I, I didn't really know what judo was, quite frankly. And then when I saw some of the videos and some of the techniques demonstrated on the judo info site, something about it resonated with me. And I was like, this is it. This is this is exactly what I want to be doing, because in Brazilian jiu jitsu, it was very it, it's a lot of fun and it's great. And I, I still do it today. But we never started on the feet. And And back when I was in my mid 20s, I was always worried about you know, gosh, what if somebody rolls up on me and wants to get into a fight? What am I going to do? Because I, I had, I don't know what to do on my feet. So when I saw judo and I saw um, these video clips of these gentlemen, I think they're from Sweden. They were just doing basic judo techniques. I just thought it was a very, very beautiful thing to see of of people throwing each other, and and the technique was just really wonderful. And that's that's what I wanted to be. It wasn't until five years later later that I actually started doing it because I ended up having a a child at a younger age and and you know the expenses of raising a family just didn't allow me to do judo until I was about thirty one years old and i'm I'm forty four now yeah well, I was kind of in the reverse. I mean, I started judo when I was twelve, and I didn't have any of those. Oh, it's so beautiful. I was a fat little kid, and my mom just took me to the <laughs> Y and said, "You need to get some exercise, join a thing." And back right, then, right, right. girls didn't have a lot of choices, and judo allowed you to join. But yeah, then I kind of quit doing judo as much once I had kids. I mean, you know, I I had Maria when I won the worlds, but then I mean, she was two then. But you know, after I had the other two, and then several years later, a, four, a fourth one. Yeah, those little rugrats suck up your time yeah, and money, don't they? 
They sure, they sure do. Now, when when you were coming up through the ranks, you you that's when you met uh, Steve Scott and 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 Becky, correct? Because if I recall, Steve telling me that you would train with them during the summers and such. Is is that the case, or you would travel around the country quite a bit to get as much training as possible? Oh heck yeah, yeah. I met Becky when I was probably thirteen or fourteen years old, and wow. she was. Believe it or not, she was the weight division below me at the time, I think. But then I grew. And so eventually, we kind of swapped weight divisions back and forth for a few years. And yeah, she ended up bigger than me in the end. So yeah, I've known Beck since I was a teenager. And I was living in St. Louis. I went to Washington University in St. Louis. And I would hitchhike across the state because they're literally on opposite ends of the state of Missouri and go and stay at Becky and Steve's house because they got married really young. I think she was 19. But, you know, in Missouri, my daughter was astounded to hear this. When I was younger, what do you think the legal age for marriage in Missouri was? Guess. Probably 15. 13. 13. Wow. So Beck was not that young for a bride. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, I would go up and stay at their house and – Spend the weekend and train and fight in turn- local tournaments and then hitchhike back to St. Louis and go to class on Monday. That's unbelievable. And and all during a time when – when uh, now, I, I grew up in the 80s. You're, you're a little older than me. So this is all in a time when there were no mobile phones. There was no uh, no way to keep tabs. Goodness gracious. So that what a life to, to be able to travel like that at such a young age. These days, kids don't even want to – want to walk 50 feet away from the house. But I think that goes to some of what you and I were talking about before we started recording too, which is if you don't want to win, nobody's going to make you. Right. And you can always have a thousand excuses. I was in St. Louis, Missouri, not a hotbed of judo. The nearest place where there are a lot of people that I could train with was Kansas City. Again, just a slightly hotter bed of judo, right? Sure. I didn't have any money. I was going to college. I was broke. I ended up doing my junior year abroad, got a scholarship, went to Japan. So I'm not underestimating the difficulty of doing things when you don't have the support, but you can usually find a way. It may require a lot of sacrifice, but you can do it. We'll be right back after this. My parents love me. They want me to be happy and healthy, to learn and be confident. The best gift they can give me is an education. With 7 Generation Games, I can play and have fun while I'm learning math and history. 7 Generation Games make games that make you smarter. And you know what? I like being smarter. To get 7 Generation Games, visit 7generationgames.com. So let, let's get off of that and go on to JudoCon, where I met you, sure. and there's going to be another JudoCon, so I'm super excited. So Same you here. first, tell me your impression of JudoCon from last year. JudoCon for me, like a breath of fresh air, it was. It gave me a glimpse of what I hope judo can become uh, in this country, and I'm talking about grassroots judo because I look. I make no bones about it. I'm a recreational guy. I, I do judo for fun. I do judo because I, I enjoy doing it. I, le- I I enjoy staying in shape. And what I saw in JudoCon was was a, a large group of adults, judo enthusiasts, people who really love doing judo as much as I do, 
getting together and and learning from each other and meeting each other and and just training and 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 just really having an excellent time it was it, it just was a fantastic experience for me you know of course i i had my my rank testing for needon which i'm i'm very proud of because um i want i it was important for me to to be tested independently now i i had talked to james wall uh, prior to going to judocon but i'd never really met him so he didn't know me anything so and I actually the the test was kind of a surprise for me but um but he ended up testing me there and it was it was a great experience it was really great uh putting putting a lot of faces to names that I've talked to you know people that I've talked to over the past uh, year or so leading up to the judocon and and it was just again for for me it 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 was a glimpse of what I believe judo could still be in this country especially for adults and that's part of the reason why I started my podcast because I, I wanted to not to have all the answers, but I wanted to be an advocate for people like me who are, you know, in their thirties, forties, the, the family man type thing, but that still has a passion for judo. They, they're nothing special in judo, but, but they could still give back to the community. And I guess that's really what I saw in judo con is a lot of people who are enthusiastic about judo and, and wanting to give back to judo and wanting to grow the community in this country. See, and I had no idea what judocon was going to be. I flew in from Santiago, as you know, because right. Becky and Steve are good friends of mine for way, way, way back. I mean, my daughter's named Julie Rebecca after after Becky. So, oh wow, okay. We've been really tight for you know getting close to fifty years now. And I just figured whatever they were doing, I was going to support it. I had no real knowledge of it, but when they mentioned they were putting this together and they wanted people to support them, I thought, well, I'll do it. So I hopped on a plane. I went up there, absolutely zero preconceptions. And it was, like you said, amazing. It was, yeah. I would, because you're so much more polite and diplomatic and tactful than, than me, I will describe it as judo without all the bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I was at a tournament once and this really outstanding judo coach turns to me and he says, wow, you meet people in judo and you know them all your life. And then he says, I hate half these assholes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true that you hear people say, well, we have to put up with Bob even though he is disrespectful or – He's a little dishonest or whatever because, you know, we're all in judo together. And I think, no, that's not true. You know, if Bob's a jerk, if he's rude to, to me, if he's sexist, if he acts inappropriately with his students or whatever, I'm going to call him on it. And I don't need any new friends. So I don't go to a lot of the tournaments anymore. And the other reason I, I don't, two of them, one you kind of touched on I think judo focuses very much on just the competitive aspect, right. which is great when you're a competitor. I mean, hey, nobody, you're not going to get me to talk bad about being a competitor because it was an amazing experience for my life. But of course. when you look at people, say, who, I don't know, played high school basketball or college baseball, they aren't expected to continue doing it for the rest of their life. Exactly. If you played college ball for Stanford or for UCLA and you show up at the Alumni Association, 
all of you guys, talk, you know, tell, talking about how good and good looking you used to be. Nobody's saying, oh, well, you can't go out and slam dunk with those 20 year olds. But in judo, we seem to have this idea that everybody has to get on the mat and beat up everybody else or you don't know anything. Right, right. And there's, at most clubs, there's no space for that person that just wants to roll around and have a good time and learn some stuff. That's where I think, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu has been pretty brilliant, that they have opened the doors to those people. I, I completely agree. And I remember um, there, there's another judo podcast out there called The Original Judo Podcast, um, hosted by a fellow named James Austin. And he actually talked about this a little bit, and I completely agree with him that in some ways, I think judo has an identity crisis. It, it doesn't. So uh, I know at the highest levels they pay lip service to to judo being more than a sport, but really at you know at the IJF level at the World Tour level, it is just a sport. And I think for a lot of those athletes, judo is just a sport. And when you're done, when you're done competing. You either go into coaching or or you're just you're just like any other retired baseball player or, or basketball player. That's that's your career and that's it. And it, and and for some people, for a lot of people like myself, for me, it's it's more than a sport where where I think judo has a lot to offer, not only to to the individual, but for for the community as a whole. And um, but but I think there's this there can be this tug of war between. Not only just at the highest levels, but even at the national level, you know, when I when I take a look at USA Judo, I don't I don't see the kind of outreach to the the grassroots level that I see with AAU Judo and what Steve Scott is doing. And I, I, I sometimes I feel like there's a tug of war w when it comes to um, the competitive side versus the recreational side, and and there is I, an identity crisis of sort. And, it's, and I and I thought the fellow his name's James Austin. I thought he he put that uh, very succinctly. Um, very interesting point that he made, and I he tends to see it more from a sports side, and I I tend to see it more from a a, a lifelong activity side. We'll be right back. You've heard of a GoFundMe, but have you heard of a Can Do? No, you haven't, because Mary and I made it up. So a Can Do is kind of like a GoFundMe, but instead of asking for your money, we ask for five minutes of your time. In case you don't know, I run a company, Seven Generation Games, that makes educational video games that are used in some of the most remote corners of the earth. For a little company, getting noticed is one of the most difficult things. So I'm going to ask you to do something you can do. Take five minutes out of your day, go on your phone, go to the App Store, go to Google Play, and download on your phone, on your tablet, Making Camp. That's it. Type in Making Camp. Download it, open it up, play it for a couple of minutes. You'll learn a little bit of math. You'll learn a little bit about Native American history. And it will push us up a little bit more visibility, which for little companies, getting discovered is the hardest thing. So it's something you can do. Go to Google Play, go to the App Store, download Making Camp, play it for two minutes. The whole thing will take you just a little bit more time than it took you to listen to me. Thanks. Well, they're definitely two different things, and I right. certainly can talk from personal experience about the difference between this is my life and I'm going to kill you and eat you if I have to to win, to this is what I do after school because my friends are here and it's fun. Right. I think there's room for both of those, and we give lip service to that, but often what you see is 
the people in the the local recreational clubs are looked at as nothing more than possibly a cash cow. And I think the problem with that is, you know, you talked about there being identity crisis. Like my youngest daughter plays soccer. And when she mm-hmm. started soccer, she played with AYSO, which is like the American Youth Soccer Organization, the little kitty leagues. And then she played with her high school. And they have a different thing, the High School Athletic Association for California, whatever. And then there was some club league, and I don't even know if that's still AYSO or whatever. And then she went to college, and it was NCAA. There wasn't – you. we always said, you know, we need one organization. But in fact, there were at least three different organizations that she played with. You know, same way, Rhonda, she started in swimming, and she swam for Team Santa Monica out here. And before that, mm-hmm. she swam in North Dakota, and there's the the U.S. Swimming Association, but there's also a Masters Swimming Association. There's also the YMCA's, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have separate organizations for separate purposes. Right, I I, I agree, I, and I think I think that's and and that's that's fine. Um, I I think I think the. I think somebody's got to got to shepherd in the grassroots, you know, and help that aspect of it grow. You, do, do you know what I mean? Right. Well, and, and that's what I thought was so cool about JudoCon is Agreed. it was focused on things like I love James Wall's session where we talked about marketing. I took a ton of notes, not for my judo club, but for my own business. But looking at it from your customer's perspective. Like right now, we're redoing our whole website because you go to it, it says, I think it's try buy more. But Mm -hmm. now we're changed to be parents and teachers because you're either coming because you're a parent looking for it for your kid or you're coming because you're a teacher looking for it for your school. But he just had a whole bunch of ideas that you could apply right away. Um, Lester Bartel, when he talked about his ideas for social media and tagging in there your county and all of them were focused on how can you teach judo better, grow judo better. And it wasn't aimed at, here's a certification so I can go back and tell other people I'm a certified teacher and you're not. It was all about, here's how you can do better the thing you want to do. And nobody came in and said, oh, well, who are you? You don't have this degree, Black Belt, or you didn't win this thing. It felt a lot more like the professional conferences I go to where everybody is trying to show what it is they know and share their knowledge with the other people as opposed to who's trying to prove that I'm the biggest, toughest with the biggest, baddest in the room. With the highest rank. <laughs> right. That, well, right, right, that was right. much more tactfully said than I was going to say, but that was good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and, and I, I just think everybody there was just so – just really wanted to be a part of something and and, and – do whatever it takes to to help judo grow, and I, I just thought it was just a, a great experience, and um, it's something. A lot of things I took out of that conference. I had I had James come on my uh, uh, one of my episodes a couple of couple of months ago, and I thought that was that's probably the interview that that came across the best, you know, on the podcast. I, I got the most reaction from James, both good and um, and some negative reaction, believe it or not. But uh, but James James could be quite a talker, and and I think that's a good thing. He's very opinionated, and and you know what he does works for him. And he, even if it, uh, you, you know, because we were talking about like you know belt testing fees and things like that, things that are that are generally seen as taboo 
uh, within judo and, and within martial arts, but he does them and he's very successful with running his club. He's got one of the largest clubs in the country. And for to have him share what makes that work for him, um, I think was a great thing. I, I thought his session at JudoCon was was uh, one of the one of the best ones there. And we have a very schizophrenic relationship with money in this country. You know, I run a company that yeah. makes educational games, and we we sell it in a lot of very low income areas. And our goal is to help bring those kids' math scores up. And there are people saying, "Oh, well, you should give it away for free." Well. At some point, like at James's school, you have to keep the lights on. You have to literally keep right. the lights on. You have to pay the rent. Not everything can be free because that's not a sustainable model. No, of, co- of course not. Now, now your your company, are you still in Chile? No, um, I went down there for a little over a year to establish another office, hire people, get things running. And so now I'm back up here. I'll probably be going down to Chile, you know, three, four times a year. But no, actually, I'm here until Sunday. I'm going to Melbourne, Australia for a week. I'm going to speak at a tech inclusion conference there. And since I'm there, I thought I would go a little south and see the fairy penguins because why not? Absolutely. That's that's fantastic. So so, uh, seven generation games, correct? Seven generation games. Yep. That's us. That's so. So you, you. So are you expanding to other countries as well? Chile was that the the first expansion that you've done? Yes, and we are in negotiations with Trinidad now to become part of their national curriculum. And then we've been talking to some schools down in the Dominican Republic. So we're trying to grow at a sustainable rate. And that's one of the things you know we started on an American Indian reservation, and I think that those roots kind of gave us the idea of instead of trying to be the startup where you grow as fast as you can and maybe crash and burn, that right. you grow organically, you learn from people, you find out what they want, you listen, and maybe you are there for seven generations. Wow, that's that's fantastic. I'm, I'm in IT, so I, I find all of that fascinating to me. So that's all fascinating. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about work-life balance. I would say, in my case, maybe life after judo, you're, you're still doing judo, but Like you do a podcast, you work full time, you have a child, right? right? You just have one? I got four. Oh my God, I didn't know that. How did I miss that? Yeah, two of my own and and two of my my stepkids. Oh. Yeah, all teenagers now. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. So how do you find the time to do all of those things? So when it comes to the podcast, uh, a lot of times I record, I, I, I piecemeal my segments and podcasts. I never, ever do a straight, I don't sit down for an hour or an hour and a half and do my entire show. I'll, um, I'll do 20 minutes here. I'll do 20 minutes there, 10 minutes here. Um, and, and I piecemeal it together. I, I've, I've come up with a, um, a, a, a recording format because I use a tool called Audacity on my laptop, and I've come up with a recording format where it sounds very seamless on the podcast, but but some of these segments could be two, three weeks uh, spread apart. I'm actually now I've recently moved into a home where I have my own recording space because previously I was using one of the bedrooms. Uh, that one of my, it was one of my son's bedrooms. So when he was home, when he's here, I couldn't really do any recording, but now I have the freedom to record whenever I want. So, so I, a lot of times I, I record in the morning when, when everybody's left for work and I've, I've got about 10 to 15 minutes 
So, and then when I'm, when I take a lunch break, for example, a lot of times I'll take notes on what I want to cover. And then I may come home in the evening after practice, whether that's judo or jujitsu, I may record another 15 minutes there. And when I record, I edit, I edit on the fly. So if I say something I don't like, I just cut it out and, and just say it all over again. And just, it's just the way that I manipulate the, the, um, the dead air. I just, I, I try and make it as smooth as possible. Do you think maybe it's easier for you because a lot of times you don't have gas or do you think that makes it harder? It's it's so much easier to to do a solo podcast for me because I don't I don't ha- I love so I got a, I have a friend by the name of Joe. He's been a guest co-host on my podcast probably about four or five times. I love having Joe on but but a lot of times because we, we train together at at the same uh, jiu-jitsu club. So a lot of times we you know, if we're not training together, he's got a family. I've got a family. Sometimes it's not a good time. So it's, it's very hard to coordinate with, with him and with other people to, to do a joint podcast. So I just do the solo thing. Cause it's, it's really easy for me. And when I, when I do my recording, what you hear on the podcast, that is who I really am in real life. Like people who know me at work, they don't, you know, they might not hear the, the humorous side of me. And then, you know, people, you know, some friends that I have in real life may not understand how seriously I take uh, judo and training and things like that. But on the podcast, you're you're really getting all of me. You're getting my personality. This is it's what I really am like in real life. So it's when I do the podcast, when I do the recording, I, I always kind of envision I'm talking to some of my best friends because um that's how I try and sound very relaxed. You know, when I do the humorous things, I, I'm kind of in the back of my mind thinking, all right, what would make my friend Tim laugh? Would, would, would Tim laugh if I said this or would Matt laugh if I said that? So that's kind of how I approach my recording. And and doing it solo is is a lot easier for me because in the mornings, my, my commute is, is about an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, and I work eight hours and I go train for – you know, an hour, sometimes two hours. And, um, sometimes I come home at nine and, you know, I want to, I need to spend time with the wife and all that kind of stuff. So, so I try and fit it all in. It's, that's how I balance my life. And, and I, I'm, I'm loving it really. I mean, it's, it's been, uh, I've never been happier, uh, truly. We're out of time for this episode of the podcast. Next week, we'll have climate researcher, former Olympic hopeful, Chris Round, And then following that, we'll be back with another episode with Dave, where we talk about the podcasting part of the Judo Podcast and dish on co-host, past, present, and future. Thanks for listening to the More Than Ordinary Podcast. For more information, please go to our website, 7generationgames.com. And that's 7 as in the number 7, generationgames.com. If you'd like to learn more about math and history or increase your vocabulary while at the same time having fun, you can purchase our games at 7generationgames.com slash buy. You can also donate and help a much-deserving student. And as always, please tell a friend and don't forget to rate us on iTunes. It's never too late to be more than ordinary.